Romans uh, chapter 10, uh, beginning at verse uh, 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation with a Foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, All day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. This is the word of our Lord. As I was thinking about a way to introduce this sermon, I was looking for illustrations of futility. And that's where the illustration of uh, Escoffier comes from. I have a rather lengthy collection of quotes and illustrations having to do with human futility. Now, you may wonder about me if I'm all right, um, and that's okay. But I do know that Everyone in this room understands what futility is like. Some Mondays are hard to uh, get up for. Sometimes we look backwards and we uh, see that our entire career is a career that has led me from one futile day to the next, to the next, to the next. I wonder if it's time to change. All of us understand, uh, I believe, what futility is, just that feeling that something new has got to happen, something different, interesting, something to spice up this thing that I call everyday life. We all know what futility feels like. This is a passage in which uh, Paul is addressing a people who are surrounded by those who have heard very much the things of the gospel, and yet they refuse to believe And what Paul's doing in this passage is he's giving advice to those people who are looking around and seeing individuals who've heard the gospel but refuse to believe. And what Paul is saying to them is he's saying that God himself is the persistent preacher of Christ. That God himself is a persistent preacher of Christ. And what that means to the Roman church and what that means to us is that every Christian is obligated to pursue this work of God in preaching Christ. The example is God himself. That's what Paul is showing to the Roman Christians. Look at God. Look at him in his word and see if he is not the persistent preacher of Christ. And now... Go do that, even as you are surrounded by people who have heard over and over again the gospel and continue to disbelieve in Jesus. 
there is uh, a underlying problem with this uh, in this passage that we need to actually go backwards to understand the problem uh, is this the problem is that some people don't believe in Jesus and they're right there um, in the life of the church they they struggle to believe in Jesus and uh, Paul in this letter has already defended the good news of the gospel we don't have to go very far back to find Romans 10 verse 4 where Paul has told uh, the Roman Christians that Christ is himself the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes Christ is the end of the law that's a wonderful summary of the gospel and we can look at, at the very end of last week's passage, Romans 10, verses 12 through 13. Uh, Paul tells the Roman Christians that uh, rather than uh, waiting for our law-keeping, God bestows his riches on all who call on him. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The law, it, it used to be a barrier for becoming right before God. Nobody could satisfy God's requirements, not Gentiles and not Jews, because everyone's a lawbreaker. But Paul says in Romans 4, Jesus, he's the end of the law. The law no longer presents a barrier between us and God. Jesus is the end of the law because that law always pointed to him. The law uh, shows a human failure and our need for redemption. It's what the law was intended to do. But Jesus is also the end of the law because he alone has satisfied that law, met all of its demands and met them perfectly. So if anybody is going to be right before God, it cannot be by meeting God's demands. There's another way, Paul has told us. Righteousness before God is available to everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. It says that in Romans 10, 13. So those who uh, come to see the hopelessness of their own efforts, uh, they can cry out in the name of Jesus and they can be saved. This, this is good news. But remember how this section, chapters 9 through 11, begins. Remember the very beginning of Romans chapter 9? Uh, Paul, he's in anguish because exactly the people whom you would expect to receive the good news actually don't. And we need to keep that, that tone of anguish throughout this entire section all the way uh, to the very end. In Romans 9 verse 3, Paul's in anguish because why? Because his kinsmen, according to the flesh, fellow Israelites, uh, they've not called on the name of Jesus for salvation. And the tragedy of this is expressed in 9 verse 6. Not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Now, everyone in Rome knew, knew people like this. Jews who had, who had this special closeness to God through history, through family, through religious practices over the course of their lives, uh, but who still denied Jesus. And Paul's point is to actually uh, acknowledge this reality to which every Roman Christian can attest. You know, we have an awareness like that today ourselves. Many of us know people who were raised in a Christian home, nurtured by godly and devoted parents, who, who grew up actively participating in the life of the church, uh, and then for, the, for much of their uh, adult life surrounded uh, by Christians, and yet all the same, they deny Jesus. We know people like this, and perhaps you hear this morning as a person like that.
And so Paul's point is, uh, even as he describes the good news of the gospel, uh, his point is actually to defend God's plan for redemption even before that evidence around them of a uniquely blessed people who refuse to embrace Jesus. Paul's defending the gospel even as we see those who refuse to believe it. Look at Romans 9, 6. We can hear uh, Paul saying, yes, many people deny Jesus. Yes, many people that you know deny Jesus. But Romans 9, 6 says, it is not as though the word of God has failed. That's Paul's point here. He agrees with them. You see people like this. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. So we have to see this problem that people hear about Jesus, but they don't believe in Jesus. But we also have to see Paul's solution to the problem. The solution itself is, uh, if uh, I care to admit, is just a little bit unsatisfying. The solution that Paul has in mind for explaining the fact that there's so many people around them who don't believe in Jesus, uh, the solution itself doesn't actually guarantee that that problem goes away. And that's, that's how I operate. I want to see a solution that makes sure the problem goes away. The problem is I see people around me. They don't believe in Jesus. They seem ever close to the life of the Christian church, and they still don't believe in Jesus. Paul, would you please give me the kind of solution that makes that problem go away? But Paul won't do it. He provides a solution that doesn't guarantee a fix to the problem. There are people who do not worship Jesus. And there are people who have been brought very close to Jesus and they still do not worship him. We'll solve that, Paul. And what Paul is going to do in this passage is he's going to describe the solution, if we can call it a solution, uh, by um, our lives going forward. Verses 14 through 17, as Paul describes the solution to to this realization that there are non-believers around them, uh, Paul seems to be giving to us a a solution of going forward in the immediate future, what to do today and tomorrow. And he gives us the example of those who have never heard the gospel. Okay, so it's verses 14 through 17. First part of the solution. How to deal with today and the near future those who have actually never heard the gospel. Even though my, my initial problem is those who have heard the gospel but don't believe. Verses 14 through 17, the solution going forward, the example of those who've never heard. And then he's going to switch gears in verse 18. So that 18 through 21, he's actually going to give the solution in yet another unsatisfying way, the solution of looking backward, the example of those before us who heard the gospel and yet didn't believe. So the solution uh, going forward, the example of those who've never heard, and the solution going backward, the example of those who did hear. Well, verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? Well, this is a solution going forward. Those who have never heard. They're not the people we had in mind. We're thinking about those who have uh, heard but not believed. Paul's doing something a little bit different here. Paul mentions uh, in this section here at the beginning, he mentions the word preaching three times in the English. 
uh, he mentions uh, the preaching uh, in the Greek once using the, uh, the traditional word for preaching. In verse 15, as he quotes Isaiah 52, Paul says, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. It's one word in the Greek. It's the common word for preaching. Now that's in verse 15, but Paul also uses uh, a word for preaching in the Greek that's different, and it's translated as preaching in the ESV Bible. Uh, You can read it in verse uh, 14, how are they to hear without someone preaching, and how are they to preach unless they are sent? Now, this word, it's not the normal word for preaching. This word is a heavy-hitting word for preaching. It's specifically the, the authoritative preaching uh, of a herald. It's the message of a king bringing the king's message to bear on the life of a person. It's the herald doing his duty, that kind of preaching. And so uh, two Greek words in this passage... And the one that's used twice for the uh, English translation is actually the harsher word. Now, it's because of this preponderance of the words preaching in our English Bible that very often we look at Romans 10 as an encouragement for us to preach, an encouragement for us to tell people about Jesus. And in fact, I'm doing that this morning. But I want to caution us While this this is a passage that encourages us to preach the gospel, there's an underlying truth here as Paul explains this. It's really God who's doing the preaching. God himself is the persistent preacher of the word of Christ, the persistent preacher of his son. Look at the chain of events that Paul gives us from verses 14 through 15. Paul, he tells it to us backwards, but but we know what he's talking about. He's giving to us the perspective of someone whose ears are hearing the gospel. Why would Paul do that? You see what I mean in verses 14 through 15? Paul's actually describing what happens, not from the perspective of the preacher, but from the perspective of the hearer. He's going backwards. Presumably he's doing this because the Roman church is filled with first-generation believers. Just think about that. This church is perhaps 10 years old, maybe 12 years old. It's a young church. All of these people in the church are first-generation believers, which means all of these people know about their conversion. They were converted as adults. They, They remember what it felt like to hear the gospel and also to believe the gospel. And so in verses 14 through 15, Paul is going to explain what he means from the perspective of the hearer. There are people uh, who do not believe in Jesus. They don't have uh, faith in him. He's going to say in verse 17. And they don't have faith because they have not heard about Jesus. And then in verse 14, look what happens. Someone shows up and and preaches to them. Now, that kind of preaching is the kind of preaching, verses 14 and 15, that's made by a herald. Someone showed up and preached to them a message that wasn't their own message. Someone showed up in verse 14 and preached to them a message that was someone else's message. They're showing up only as a herald of the someone else. And that's what's behind verse 15. The preacher is actually sent by someone else proclaiming that which someone else has done. 
Let's flip this around a little bit. God has done something that is good. God has done something that is important, that is life-saving. That's in Romans 10.4, that Christ is the end of the law. That's in Romans 10.12 and 13, the promise that everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. God's done something. And then, and we're not told how, but God finds people whom he can uh, use to tell others. God's done something great, but then he calls people to himself uh, that he can send to tell others. There's so much here that Paul doesn't actually share. These people that God has called to himself that he's going to send, uh, these people are somehow made aware of what it is that God has done. And Paul says that these people are sent. Somehow they're trained to know what to do. How? Well, perhaps because they have been uh, sent, as they're sent, uh, they're preaching the very words of that sender. These people that have been sent are, are speaking the gospel that they themselves have heard from the one who sent them. And as these people preach, they're actually heard by others, heard by a lot of others. And some who hear them actually come to faith, actually believe. In verse 14, they believe in Jesus. In verse 17, they have faith in the word of Christ. Isn't that, well, isn't that great news? In verse 17, Paul abbreviates this whole schema. He still does it backwards. But you see there that there is a word of Christ that's preached. You see that in verse 17. There's a word of Christ that's preached, and then there is a a hearing. And then uh, of those who hear, some of them have faith. They believe. Now, this this is, on the one hand, very simple. He's describing the preaching of the gospel. But it's not as simple as you might think. First of all, it's not simple because God's the one who's doing all of the work. I mean, God's the one who has established the plan of redemption. But Paul is saying that God is also the one who gathers and sends the preachers. And Paul is saying that God is the one who gives the preachers the word such that uh, they preach as heralds. They preach only that which they're told to preach. And what Paul is saying is he's saying that evangelism is, is really, it's really God's ministry to the lost. Not our ministry to the lost. We can talk here if we want about the formal official role of preaching the office of the minister. But I don't think that's what Paul's after here in Romans 10. In fact, if God's doing all of the work, there's a sense in which the the ministry of preaching ought never to be limited to the pastor. Paul is telling us that that God himself is the persistent preacher of Christ. And our role as Christian preachers of Christ is actually a subsidiary role. The ordained minister preaches. Christian saints preach. Creation, Paul is even going to say, preaches. As he quotes Psalm 19. (laughs) How can this be? The minister preaches, the Christian saints preach, even creation preaches. What Paul is saying is he's saying that God is himself that persistent preacher of the word of Christ. And we have this blessed opportunity to be a part of that work without owning that work. In fact, to own that work is to not be doing that work. 
This is God's work. Now that is beautiful to hear, isn't it? Lofty, encouraging. But I said there's, there's two things about what Paul's teaching us that stand out to us. That's the first, that our preaching ministry is really God's preaching ministry. The second is this. In this passage, Paul is focusing our attention not on those who hear and believe, but he's actually focusing our attention on those who hear and don't believe. God is preaching, beautiful, glorious, God is preaching. But there are still those of verse 16 who have not obeyed the gospel. They've heard the gospel preached by God himself, but they have not obeyed the gospel. How's verse 16 even possible? That God can preach, but some still not believe? We're, we're swimming in the deep end of the pool now. We, we can uh, say uh, quite handedly and quickly, as many Reformed people would, well, they've heard the gospel preached by God and they've not believed because uh, they're not the elect. They've not been chosen by God. And I hope you hear that that's not a very satisfying answer. It's a difficult reality to contend with that there would be hearers of the gospel, God's message from God's work, those sent by God to bear that message of God upon the hearers that God, through his will, uh, brings before the speaker of God's word, and yet they still don't believe. Well, what do you think Paul's application is thus far in the passage? I think that it's not to figure out why those people who heard the gospel continue to disbelieve it. Maybe that's not our intellectual territory. Now, that question uh, Paul is going to address, and that question will be resolved uh, at the final judgment. But the application that Paul seems to be after is this simple application. Preach God's gospel. Yes, yes, some will hear and not believe. And Paul would say, preach God's gospel. My hand goes up in the air because I want to know about those who've heard the gospel and not believed. I'd like some explanation for that. I have preached your work and your message. And Paul's application is again, John, preach God's gospel. I would like some explaining. Preach God's gospel. Yes, but what about preach God's gospel? It seems to me that's, that's the clear application here. Some don't believe, but preach. Now, this is why I call this uh, the solution that's going forward. This is a very practical part of the passage here uh, up to verse uh, 17. Even though there's some who've not believed, we continue to preach. And, and if permitted to, we preach to those same people who have not believed. Uh, and if permitted to, uh, we preach to those same people who have not believed over and over and over and over again. God is doing this. He's preaching through creation, and that proclamation is a nonstop creation, or nonstop proclamation. We're never given a plan B. If the gospel doesn't work, try something else, like Escoffier in the kitchen. If that doesn't uh, wow and dazzle them, try something else. God never gives us the plan B. God says that the gospel is his power unto salvation, and so we preach that gospel. Now, part of gospel work is reaching those who have never heard never heard at all. 
Isn't that, isn't that the fun part of ministry? This is exciting stuff, uh, preaching the gospel to those who have never heard uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ going out into new territories and new people groups and new cultures and new languages. And it's so thrilling. We love supporting missions into the unknown realms, tapping into thousands of pairs of ears that have never heard the gospel. There's this resonant uh, potential hopefulness about it, and it's fun to generate excitement, uh, to raise money and to plot strategies as we go out into the world preaching the gospel to those who've never heard. And it's not very fun to preach the gospel to those who have already heard. That's the hard part of the gospel, isn't it? And that's the reality of the Roman church. That's why Romans 9 is Romans 9. We weep for those who have heard but do not believe. If they're family, if they're close friends, well, our hearts are torn out of us. But that's the setting of this passage Beginning of Romans 9, Paul, he's in anguish. They're right, there are people right here, right now this morning, who know that anguish that Paul feels. Because there are people here this morning who are watching precious loved ones. People they would die for who continue to deny the gospel. You're here this morning. You know who you are. That's the anguish that Paul feels. Well, for those of you in that situation, I feel like you capture something of the tone of Romans 9 through 11. And may our merciful Father bless and care for you as you preach the same message time and time again. May God strengthen you. Never, never waver. Now, it's emotive, isn't it? It's emotional, this thought of those who hear the gospel but don't believe. And Paul saying, uh, yes, I see them too, preach the same gospel. But Paul does something else in this passage, and this is where he closes. Uh, I told you that Paul approaches the solution looking forward in the proclamation of, the, of uh, God's word that he himself is proclaiming. Uh, preach the gospel, Paul says. But this passage actually closes with that same solution, the preaching of the gospel, the preaching of God's message. But it's a solution in which we have to look backwards to see. Now, Paul, he's in anguish for those who hear but do not believe. And there are many here who are in anguish for their friends and family members who may love, who they've preached the gospel to and yet don't believe. But Paul here, as he closes, he has us look backwards. And he has us find a special camaraderie with King David and with Moses and with Isaiah. You see, Paul wants us to understand that when the gospel is preached and heard but not believed, the rejection is not a rejection of us. It's a rejection of God. This is where he's leading us in verse 21. Look what he says at the close of the passage. All day long, I've held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. That's not Paul speaking. 
These words come from Isaiah 65, but they come from a section in which these are God's words and not Isaiah's words. Imagine how evocative this language is. God, who is a spirit who has no hands, is being pictured here with divine artistry. Uh, God stretching out his hands, uh, not to defeat his enemies, an outstretched arm to defeat enemies, but stretching out his hands, straining himself for a people, and they disobey, they literally reject him uh, and they're not contrary they actually debate with him they speak against him and yet all the while uh, God our holy father uh, with his hand straining to them is holding out the word of Christ and he's close to their faces and they reject and they debate with him so as I said Paul He has us look backwards and he gives us three quick examples, one from King David and one from Moses and one from Isaiah. But but I want us to understand that Paul is using very evocative language that we would understand that the rejection is not our rejection. It's a rejection of God. And we think of uh, King David where uh, Psalm 19 is quoted a psalm of King David that was read earlier in the service. And, and here we have this foundational image of creation uh, proclaiming uh, the gospel. Now, it's probably challenging for us to think of creation preaching the word of Christ, but that's what, that's what Paul says here. And, and he's going to say things similar to this, like in Colossians 1, when he says that by Christ all things were created in heaven and earth, uh, visible and invisible, in him all things hold together. And he's also going to speak this way at the end of the section in Romans 11, where he says that for from Christ and through Christ are all things. And so in some way, according to the words of King David, uh, Christ Jesus is being revealed in the declaration of the heavens in God's never-ending preaching. And Paul also takes us to Moses and Moses in Deuteronomy 32, he could see the hearts of Israel and he knew that some of them would reject and debate with God. Uh, he knew that some of them would hear but refuse to believe in the Son. And in their rejection, Moses tells them that God will make them jealous with what others have. Jealous for the non-Israelite community. Because there's going to be Gentiles around them People who don't have the blessings of being a kinsman, don't have the blessings of being of Israel. And Moses knows that those people are going to say yes to Jesus, while many of the Israelites will not. And we need to see that Moses was preaching to a people who he knew would refuse one day, and yet he continued to preach the same gospel. And Paul takes us to Isaiah Isaiah says, I have been found by those who did not seek me, but I've told you already, those are not Isaiah's words. It's God. We have this description that Paul takes us to about the courageous preaching ministry of Isaiah in which he would preach to anyone who would listen. And in this passage, God says this about not Isaiah, but about himself. Isaiah 65, God is speaking and he says, uh, he says, I was ready to be found by a people who rebel against me. I was ready to be found by a people like that. I was ready to be found by people who provoke me to my face. I was ready to be received by people who make sacrifices to other gods in gardens. 
I was ready to receive people who make offerings on bricks, who sit in tombs, who eat pig's flesh, even those who say to me, keep to yourself, don't come near me, I'm too holy even for you. Those people exist. Isaiah 65, verses 2 through 5. God says, I'm I'm ready to be received even by people like that. (laughs) Maybe you feel like you have the same tired message for people who have no clear intention of ever believing. You've shared with them Jesus, and you just know they have no intention of believing. You come to a point where you think they're just unworthy to even hear the gospel anymore. Isaiah 65 is for you. Isaiah 65 is for you. When does God grow tired of preaching the word of Christ? Tell me. And he doesn't. The heavens declare his glory. And the church shares that glory in her ministry of the gospel to the watching world. And deny the church as she might. The church will continue to preach. Deny the church as she might, and the church will not change her message that it becomes more palatable. She preaches one message. God uh, encourages us, and this is where Paul's taking us. He wants us to find our encouragement in God's own preaching ministry. The gospel is the gospel. It never changes. And while we know that there's some who never seem to believe our preaching, we'll consider a couple of things. Consider King David before you or Moses before him or Isaiah after him. God himself says, all day long I've held out my hand to a disobedient and contrary people. Why should you, preacher of the gospel, sent by God, be any different? Why should you be any different? Two quick applications I want to pray for us. The first is this. Suffering for the gospel, it's, it's what we're called to. It's God's own message. It's the hope that is stamped by God's own authority. It, it's a hope that is established by God's own work. We're actually called to suffer for the gospel. We don't change it. We don't modify it. We, we don't uh, lose faith. Look, we don't know what it means when Paul says in 1 Timothy 2, 4, that God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. It's a hard passage, isn't it? We don't know exactly what it means, but surely it doesn't mean that we're to stop preaching the gospel because some people are so flagrantly opposed to it. Surely it doesn't mean that. You, this afternoon, look at 1 Timothy 2, 4. It's an encouragement to proclaim the gospel. That's the first application. The second application is this. Is this suffering hard? Are you tired of hearing a denial of the gospel? The Lord's name used in vain as you try and explain the word of Christ. Are you tired? Well, on what basis do you yourself belong to God? How did you come to believe? Good intentions? Studiousness? Good manners? good family. Let's all of us as Christians remember that left to our own devices, we're but rogues. We're rogues. We're, we're disobedient rejectors. We're, we're debaters with God before his very face. And yet here we are. Suffer for the gospel. 
because someone suffered for you. Praise be to God for the message of the gospel. Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, we thank you that you died on the cross for our salvation. We thank you that you didn't shirk that responsibility. God, we thank you that you equipped your son by the Holy Spirit, that he would uh, approach that work ministered to by you, and that he would not fail. God, we thank you for the story of redemption. And we ask that you would use us as your people in our families, in our communities, our neighborhoods, in East Brainerd, and yes, the world, to proclaim a gospel that does not belong to us, but a gospel that has saved us. In your name, amen.